Our world is lost in unnecessary fear and hurt. Our systems seem scientifically engineered to make you small, powerless, and always waiting for the next great leader who will fix the problems around us. Worse, we're witnessing neighbor versus neighbor while warfare breaks out around our family tables. But you have access to a spirit, a strength that enlarges and empowers you. Even better, you don't need to wait for the next big movement. You can heal the world. It's time for governance by Grace. Welcome to Gracearchy with Jim Babka. Here's part two of our conversation with C. Baxter Kruger, who lectures throughout the world about grace and the Trinity through his ministry, Perichoresis. You can follow his work at perichoresis.org, and we'll put the link in the show notes, so don't worry about spelling it. In addition to a master's in divinity from Reformed Theological Seminary and a PhD from King's College, University of Aberdeen, Baxter also creates and sells fishing lures and enjoys golf and cooking crawfish. Baxter and his wife, Beth, reside in Mississippi and they're parents of four and love spending time with their now six grandchildren. Right. And where we left off, we were talking about the best-selling novel, The Shack, uh, The Shack as a metaphor for the soul. The paradox we find there, there is that we're in the dark, hiding secrets there and often emotionally wounded by trauma. It's the place we sometimes feel we have to fix up, and yet God is there. So I start off by asking a question of Baxter. What is the darkness? You're going to be on the Damascus Road, and the Holy Spirit's going to turn the lights on, and you're not going to argue. Let's venture into that darkness for a moment. What happens there? So Christ meets us there. What is it that is fixing? Because, you know, I can imagine some of the people listening right now are saying to themselves, well, you know, I don't need this. This is all... You know, this is all theoretical. This is all ethereal. Uh, it probably isn't even real. But, but what is the experience that that this, starting with the individual, starting with the human heart, what is the experience? Uh, what is the need for this experience and what happens in this darkness? Well, um, I think I understand what you're asking. Um, the darkness, we could start this way. What happens to you when you when you have what the Bible calls sudden fear? You become instantaneously self-centered. That okay. fear has gripped you. You're focused on relief. You're focused on yourself. Mm-hmm. You don't notice what's going on around you. You go home. You're focused on your wife and your kids somehow trying to help you deal with this sudden fear. Rather than going home free from fear, and when you're not afraid, you can notice, you can see, oh, my daughter's crying. What's wrong? Or something's going on with my wife or my, my son or the dog. Or, um, so fear is where we are. And fear creates a river of toxic waste of self-centeredness and self-protection and hiding. And another way of saying that, that's chaos. Or another way of saying that, that is hell on earth. And Jesus comes into this place. And he is working with each individual on the planet uh, and the Holy Spirit. And they're not into um, waving a Christian uh, Harry Potter wand and making it all go go away. They're into untwisting us and healing us completely from the deepest places in our heart. And, And fear comes when we don't know the Father. Or we think we've got to figure out how to get to him. That creates fear and anxiety, guilt and shame and all that 
river of toxic waste is what I call it. Yeah, so, so there's been something we've been kind of dancing around here. Uh, earlier, I wanted to ask about this. This seems like a good point. I can jump in and say it, that if in, under the traditional knowledge view of faith, you have this behavior that you have to somehow or other measure up to. So you you put on your Sunday go to meet and clothes and you pretend to be a certain way and you try to build up yourself in order to be in that kind of position. Um, if, if somebody has come and met you, and the way I like to describe this darkness, Baxter, is we've all got the secret that we don't want everyone else to know. We've all got that sin, that that inner thing that we're holding back from, from others around us. We can't really reveal who we are. The garden has this met, this metaphor, I mean, a, you know, literal or metaphor, whatever you want to do, but a metaphor of nakedness or exposure. We can't truly be who we are because we're ashamed and we got to fix that. And there's some degree maybe even to which we got to fix that before we even darken the door of the church or hang out. And like, we got to make sure we get our stuff together and get it, get it, get in the right standing. And that's not what's being, that's not what's being presented here at all. No, because what, what happens is if we had to be in right standing, then we're vulnerable to somebody defining that. What is righteousness? And it's like, I read a book one time on the fruit of the Holy Spirit <laughs> and halfway through the, through the book, I'm like, this guy's nuts. Because he was defining love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and telling us how to do that. I, I it's called the fruit of the Spirit, not Baxter's fruit. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're going about it uh, external. I, I can figure out how to look the part. If I can figure out somebody's definitions, then I can go work to be holy like that. Well, what's in us is the holiness of the Father, Son, and Spirit, the goodness, the love, the mercy, the righteousness, and indeed the wrath, which is opposition to anything that's destroying us. So I don't know how to define the goodness of God, but it's in me, and it's determined that I be so filled that it transfigures me, so that in the high country, as McDonald says, we're not going to need any law because none of us would, would ever hurt anybody. And if we thought we did, he says, we'd throw ourselves into the abyss until it was worked out. Wait, are you trying to say we don't, we wouldn't need a government? We wouldn't need somebody to kind of push us to do, to behave and be a certain way? Absolutely. Because we are going to be transfigured by the love of the faithfulness, the blessedness, the mercy, the justice of God. And that illustration, um, saw a news clip once where uh, a young girl had been kidnapped and murdered. And they finally caught the person that did it and they had the court and he was found guilty. And afterwards, the parents of the young girl walked outside. Of course, there's, there's all kinds of reporters. And one guy made it up and stuck the microphone into the dad's face. And he said, do you think uh, now that uh, so-and-so has been caught and, and, and tried and found guilty in, in the sentence, you think justice has been served? And this guy leans forward and he says, there can be no justice until I get my daughter back. Now, that's God's justice. God's justice is not punishment for the sake of punishment. God's justice is I'm going to heal that murderer, and I'm going to resurrect that girl, and I'm not only going to heal the murderer, I'm going to bring him to the place to where he becomes the most trusted, faithful family friend that could be entrusted with this young girl and the whole family because of the goodness that I'm going to work in him. I am going to resurrect him, not only to give him uh, life in the sense of duration of existence, but I am going to give him and train him and lead him as a shepherd to the life that I have in me, which is 
to give, to sacrifice, to center on the others is flowing through him and transfigures him. That's God's justice. So there's mercy there. There's justice there. It's, it's not it's not all this stuff crisscrossing and arguing like God can't really do this and do that until we get everything worked out. And so in the same way, faith, there's one faith. And, and in Hebrews, when it says that Jesus is the author and finisher uh, of our faith, we all think it says author and finisher of our faith. It doesn't say our. It says author and finisher of faith. The believer, the one who knows the Father is inside of us. And he's saying, Baxter, you got to take sides with me. You're thinking wrong about my Father. Let me listen to me. Taking taking sides with me means a repentance or a change of thought, right? You have a, you have a yeah, new way annoying. of looking. Well, think, think back to the psych unit. Jesus is not sitting beside this woman whispering things to her. He's on the inside. And he's on the inside of her filters, and he is able to communicate with her so that she can see this is what I think, and this is what Jesus is telling me about his father. I, I, this is what I think about his father. This is what he's telling me. I, take sides with me. I, I'm going to get you out of this mess, not by uh, a command and everything is just fixed. I'm going to get you out of this mess. I'm going to teach you who my father is. You're going to know him with my knowing. Now, let me tell another story. I think this is at the heart of everything we're talking about. Um, when this, my son's now 36. And his, this one is about seven. So thir around 30 years ago, uh, I was Saturday afternoon. I'm getting ready to watch football game and uh, an old Miss football game. And, and um, I'm sitting on the den sorting through junk mail. And I noticed movement out to my right. And I look down and I see two camouflage faces painted hat, the, the the military blouse the whole the whole nine yards and they they see me see them and they come flying through the air and engage me in a mock fight grenades are going off and machine guns and all this and after about 10 minutes I'm exhausted wrestling with them and so they're they're in a pile of laughter on the floor I'm I'm on my hands and knees and I'm just looking at them breathing hard and I hear pay attention this is important I'm like oh okay I mean, it's a dad playing with his son and his buddy. Um, something like this has to be going on all over the earth. <laughs> I couldn't get it. But then I thought, well, I didn't I didn't know this other little boy at all. I, in fact, I didn't even know he was in my house. And let's play the story back this way. Let's say that my son is in the back part of the house playing with his sisters and the dog. And this little boy comes into the den, leans down, camouflage face, paint, everything, leans over and sees me. The last thing he's going to do is come flying through the air and engage me in that kind of familiarity because he doesn't know me. Mm -hmm. He would probably assume that I was Mr. Kruger, but he doesn't know that. We've never met. Right. And so I thought, oh, my gosh, I saw it. I saw it. My son knows me. He knows not only that I love him, but that I like him and that I want him to be with me. So he did the most natural thing in the world. He came and engaged his father in play. And I watched my son's freedom with me and my son's joy and my son's relationship and fellowship with me go inside that other little boy and he got to play in it. It became in that moment as much his as it was mine and my son's. And I, I just, I froze. I thought, that is the greatest illustration of the real gospel. Jesus Christ alone knows the Father. Jesus Christ alone is filled with the Holy Spirit without measure. 
without end. And that Jesus is in us. He says, I'm going to teach you about my father because I want, I want for my bride what I feel when I hear my father saying, you are my beloved son in whom my soul delights. What I feel in the Holy Spirit when I look my father in the face and I feel this in our oneness, that's what I'm giving to you. I'm not defining joy. I'm giving you my joy. I'm not defining love. And here's how to do it. I'm giving you my love. I'm put I, me in you. Now abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. So You're, this, fa this father, this father thing seems really, really super important and not accidental or incidental to, to me. And we've talked about it before here on this show. Uh, there is this uh, debate that's going on that's that is misapplied to this situation that somehow or other the Bible is uh, presents a story of patriarchy and God is this domineering father. And uh, and I start to understand where this comes from, because in the Old Testament, you probably can quote chapter and verse from it. But there is the promise that when things are right, the heart of this child or the son and the daughter turns back to the father. Right. There's a bonding or a reconnection of that relationship. But what we have very commonly in culture is a breakdown of that relationship. And I would argue it's a breakdown that affects uh, first uh, obviously, people's view of God is what we're talking about here today, but this is not a minor matter. We see social consequences attached to the absence of fathers and this idea that there's a toxic masculinity and all the rest of this goes on. So could you please speak to why God is father is so crucial and important and above all of these current political controversies? Well, Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, do not call anyone father on earth. You have father in heaven. And do not call anyone leader. You have one leader, the son of man, and do not call anyone teacher. Uh, if we would have paid attention to that and reserved the word father for God, uh, the father Jesus alone, then we would have had some disconnect from angry dads that we then project up to God and create a God in that image. And probably the reason we have angry dads to begin with is because that's the theology they were handed. And then they know they can't measure up to that. Um, so that's one, one piece of it. Instead of throwing can, can, we, can we pause on that piece though? Sure. So there's this uh, documentary. I don't know if you've seen it right now on uh, Amazon called shiny happy people. And it's about people who were in the bill Gothard system. Are you familiar with bill? <laughs> Are you familiar? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I, I went through that, some of that, when I was in my youth as well. Like I was exposed to that. My father was a, a big advocate of, of his work. There is a scene where the Duggars, uh, Michelle Duggar, is blanket, they're doing something called blanket training with her child. And on the blanket, uh, you set a baby on a blanket and you set an object that the baby might desire on the outside of the blanket. And every time the baby crawls to that spot or tries to reach for the item, you inflict a small amount of physical punishment on the child, negative reinforcement, and move them back to the center of the blanket. I'm not making this up. And this was supposed to teach the child from the very get-go about authority. But I'm watching this with complete horror as I'm watching shiny, happy people, and I'm saying, this is their theology. It's a theology on a blanket, right? God is a, is a heavenly judge who really is opposed to my pleasure or my pursuit of my desires or the way even that he made me. And if I venture off the blanket, I'm in a heck of a lot of trouble. I just, I'm, that is so pathetic. It's not theology. That's what Athanasius called mythology. 
the projection of human constructs onto God rather than listening to Jesus and letting him tell us about who the Father is and who Jesus is and who the Holy Spirit is and who we are and who our enemies really are. Well, I, you said I had, we were talking about four grandchildren in the introduction. We have six now. Six. The youngest is Anna, and she gets to come. My wife keeps her, you know, several days during the week, and she was at the house yesterday, and she's about five months old. And I just sat there and played with her on the ground for just a little while, and I thought, this child is conceiving, processing, learning to think a little bit. And you can't think or conceive a process unless there's something to think about. It's in the encounter. And what this child is encountering from, from before she was even born is that she is a part of a big family. And we all know each other and we all love each other. And she's number six of of the grandchildren and everybody, everybody knows it's, it's not like we, we live right close together. We get together a lot. Um, and I'm just saying they, they, they don't know anything other than love that they've been loved before they got here. And, and I, I'll give you a story. Um, Cooper, I mean, Caroline is the oldest. She's seven Cooper's five, five and a half. Um, and, um, they're the oldest and they live nearby. So one, one morning I got up to eight, eight o'clock morning, something like that. And I had my coffee and I was reading a book sitting in my chair. My chair faces this way and the garage and the kitchen is back that way. So I heard the garage door go open, go up. So I knew it was one of my kids because they're the only ones that have the, you know, the puncher. And so I'm just sitting there. Well, then the doorbell rang like 30 times and I knew it was Cooper. So Cooper comes flying in, sees me in the kit and, and sitting there reading. So he goes and grabs a book, crawls up my lap, read. And then Caroline comes in, she sees Cooper in my lap reading. So she goes and gets a little, um, like a, a five pack of little small books. And she went, then they start fighting over what, what book we're going to read. And I'm sitting there holding these grandkids and, and just tears started flowing down my face. I, I was like, what's going on, Lord? And I thought, these children do not, it has never crossed their mind that they're not wanted. Hmm. It's never crossed their mind that they're not included and loved. And so what do you do when you know you want it and you're loved and you're included? You, you, you respond in relationship. But, but just suppose, take that scenario and just suppose that somebody whispers to Caroline and Cooper. They, they call me Doc. That's my, my granddad name. And so it says, you know, Doc is really mean as a snake. And he doesn't really like you. He'll tolerate you, but you better watch him because the day's coming when his fuse is going to go off and you know, it's bad. You need to stay away from him. And suppose they believe that. So the next time they're coming over, Laura's driving over, says, hey, we're going over to Doc and Gigi's. Well, Caroline and Cooper just breathe like, oh, my gosh. They trigger like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Caroline says, do not ring the doorbell at all. Do not touch it. We'll open the door to the kitchen and we'll go around and we'll go in the very back room and play quietly so that Doc doesn't even know we're there. So, and suppose further that somebody says, I tell you what, I tell you how you can get God, get Doc on your good side. Here's the things that you have to do, and you have to do them perfectly. And if you do them perfectly, then, and then you'll be on his good side. So that's the birth of religion. Yes. So what, what am I going to do? You know, go barreling back there. If I go barreling back there, it's going to scare them to death. So 
I've got to figure out a way not only to send them messages, because even if I sent them inerrant messages of how much I love them, they're filtering. They're kind of in their own little psych unit. So I got to figure out a way how to get inside behind those whispers and those lies and begin to communicate the truth of who I am. So I send my son and he find, he makes his way inside and little by little, they begin to trust. Maybe, maybe he's right. And so his own knowing of my heart is now inside of them. And so they can take baby steps. Maybe they come out into the hall and just listen. And maybe they come around the corner and see me and they can't believe because they see goodness. They can't believe so they, they park there for a while, but eventually they're going to come take baby steps in Jesus's faith in me, in Jesus's faith in his, in his father, in his knowledge, in his freedom. And they're going to eventually be brought to the place to where they know that they're wanted and loved and they have the run of the house. And no matter what happens, I'm not going to abandon them. And no matter what happens, I'm at work to turn it for good. And no matter how stupid they become or what, how twisted or whatever, uh, that's the truth. This is a scenario. My friend Bruce Walker in Adelaide, Australia, says that the Bible is the greatest love story ever told, and we have turned it into a damn nightmare. Yes. Amen. So this, this is, I'd like to go back to the previous story you told. Your son, though, kind of created a way for his friend to enter into your relationship, you're you're beginning to scratch at something that's really core to the New Testament story, which is the concept of adoption. Yes. Well, interestingly enough, uh, when I was in seminary, my friend David uh, Upshaw and I took a semester off. We just said, we're not doing this anymore because all we're doing is memorizing stuff and regurgitating on. I had questions and I didn't know what the question was, but now I can see now the question was, how do you go about doing theology? Where do you start? What organizes it? What logic do you use? Do you just do like the Westminster Confession and go through the book and find all these things about God and say that's who God is? Or, and so we pulled probably, I'd say, 35 theology books out and laid them on a great big table. And we were looking at the table of contents and the structure. And most of them didn't even have much about adoption at all. And if they did, it was under the heading of justification. And I'm sitting there with Ephesians 1, the Apostle Paul. He, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Yahweh, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he planned. He chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. He predestined us through Jesus Christ to adoption. Now, he, he doesn't say he, he, he chose us to be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us through Jesus Christ. He doesn't say he predestined us to justification. So the higher concept in the New Testament, the goal is adoption, which is really bar mitzvah, Galatians chapter 4, where he says the child is an heir, owner of everything, but he's currently being held under the elementary principles until he reaches the age uh, of adoption. And because you are sons of God in Jesus Christ, God has poured out the spirit of his son and calling, crying, Abba, Father, in your hearts. So Abba, Father, is the only Jesus said that. And now he's inside of us saying that, and it does not fit with our theology, mythologies, and all that. And that's what they're working on. It's the knowledge of communion that Jesus is sharing with our soul. It's knocking 
at the door of the base of our brain going, Hey, 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 you, you got some serious stinking thinking going on here. You need to listen. You need to rethink. You need to walk with Jesus. Um, and let him straighten out the mess. He's the light. He's the word. He's the father, son, and he's in you. And that's Christianity. That's the gospel. It's, it's the heart of everything. And so ask, ask, well, I tell people all the time in my online classes, and I was just teaching out in San Antonio this last weekend with John Crowder, and um, you need to interview him. Um, but he, uh, I, they were at, the, at the end, we had a panel, and they, they were asking some basic, simple questions. You know, how do, what do we do to go forward? What do we, I said, don't go trying to be a theologian or a Bible scholar. You've got the mind of Christ. Use it. Ask Jesus. Jesus, I want to abide in you. I don't know how to do that. He doesn't say get in me. He says abide in me. I'm the one that's crossed and gotten inside of you. Now abide in me. Listen to me. Walk with me. And that's the way the whole Christian life is lived out. And before we know it, um, we start beaming. We start beaming with relief. Imagine yeah. the faith. Imagine relief is it that with this massive weight that we've been trying to work out and keep right and pose like we're doing it to our friends all that's unreal it's a pose it's not it's pretense and we get we're relieved you mean to tell me that i can sit here in papa's lap for the next 30 years and not do a thing yeah that's exactly what it means well good luck trying that if you hang around with the father you're going to be involved in goodness but it radiates out of us. That's what Jesus was saying about the, the river rivers of living water. And I've got a friend that, that um, named Nan, and she she understands and knows. She has a beautiful relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. And she said, back, I don't know the Bible, and I, I don't know the Bible like you do, and I'm not a theologian. What am I going to do? I said, I said, Nan, you radiate. You're going to be in Walmart one day in the soups, trying to figure out some what soup to get to to make your recipe and you're, you're going to be in your own world. And some lady's going to come up to you because she feels the, the river. She sees the light and she's just going to talk to you and spill her life story. And you're not even going to know her. And you're going to end up in the Walmart parking lot, sitting there praying and talking about this. And she goes, well, what do I, what do I do? I said, you don't do anything. You've learned by walking your life and you can share that with mm -hmm. people. So two weeks later, get a phone call from Nancy. She said, guess where I am? I said, you're in Walmart parking lot. You just heard a lady's story. <laughs> and, you didn't, and you didn't even take a $500 class on evangelism. You know, this is because the life, relief, knowing the Father and beginning to trust that He loves us, He's got us, He won't abandon us. He's not ever, He doesn't do that. We brought that to the equation, not, not the Father, not the Son. You've got a story that's adjacent to that that you tell. I've heard you tell that uh, of riding through farm country with a with a preacher, a young preacher. Uh, you know what story I'm referring to? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It was in the Midwest, I think, and uh, he picked me up. He was taking me to the university. I was going to do lectures there, and and he was he was kind of a, you know. And I asked him. I said, "So are you a, you fixed to graduate or are you junior?" What? And he said, "No, I graduate in two weeks." And I said, "I said, what are you going to do?" And he says, "I'm going to go to seminary." And I said, "Oh, you're going to be a preacher or a missionary?" He said, "I, I think I'm going to be a preacher." And it, this part of the country is just totally flat, and so the farms everywhere. And right when he said that, this massive John Deere trailer 
plowing the field made a, a turn, um, a row turn, turn row. Anyway, I said, you see that, that man driving a tractor? He said, yes, sir. I said, how does Jesus Christ relate to what he's doing? He said, well, what are you talking about? I said, that man spends 60, 70, 80 hours a week farming. His family, his wife, has probably got two or three kids. They're all involved with it. That's what they do. So how does Jesus relate to that man and what he does with his life farming? And he said, he said I, I don't know. I said, well, why would that man come to church and bring his family? And he said, I don't know. I said, well, tonight when you get home and you, you've got your supper ready and you sit down, what's the first thing you're going to do? He said, I'm going to thank God for the food. I said, well, why are you thanking God for the food that the farmer grew? Oh, boy. He said, you're not saying I don't need to thank God. I said, no. Yes, you thank God. I'm saying that your, your prayer already knows who that man is and what he's doing. He is participating in the royal feast from the Father through the Son in the Spirit. And you're thanking God for the food, but you don't see him as participating in the life of the Trinity. That's where the light, Jesus is the light of the cosmos. Says, wait, 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 wait. Farming is our idea. We share it with you. Our burden to feed the people. Our concern for their welfare, that starts with the Father, Son, and Spirit, and we're sharing it with you, and you are, this man and his family, living it out, and he's going to go to church and totally separated from God unless he does more church stuff. You know, this is the, the, the it's just the insanity, it's the blindness. Yeah, so, so there's there's a pattern starting to develop here. There's a way to be a father that, 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 that God has already been the father. There's a way to be, or to be a dad, uh, more, more colloquially. Uh, to, there's a way to be a farmer because this is a concern that, that, uh, of God. You make fishing lures. You like crawfish boils. Like uh, there, there's life there. In fact, there's a, you open your book with everybody coming to a theologian's house uh, mm -hmm. to participate in this piece of life. That the sacred secular dichotomy is a myth. It's part of the darkness. We're not separated from the Father, Son, and Spirit. We are in them and they're in us, in our darkness. So ask Jesus to show you ways in which you are participating in that Trinitarian life and take your church glasses off and just ask him, show me five ways that I am sharing. And he's going to say, hey, you, you remember that day uh, back in 92 when you were dragging the Christmas tree out to the street in January and you heard cut a piece of cedar and make a lure? That was me. I was sharing that with you and you did. And now look, look at what's happened. Look where it's gone. So we, we have blind spots about our own humanity because we believe in separation and we believe honestly in, in the Western church. Um, I think uh, in our, in our darkness and confusion, we believe in what I call the real absence of Jesus. He's up there. He left us with a book. It's up to us to figure out how all this works. I'll show you one of my lures. You can see that if I can get yeah, it turned turn around. Yep. Yep. That's it. That's as big as the phone. Catch muscle bass, as Cooper calls it. Catch <laughs> muscle bass. <laughs> so let me tell one other story about this because it this John 14 20 to me is is um if you took a um 
uh, a 10,000 pound vice and put the Bible in it and squished it down. The verse that would come out is John 14, 20. When Jesus says in that day to his disciples in upper room, you will know, not here, but here, you will know for certain that I am in my father and you're in me and I'm in you. So I, that's been the central verse of my teaching for 30 years, probably longer. I learned that when I was work, working on my dissertation from T.F. Torrance's works. Anyway, so one of these years I was down in Austria. I can't remember. It's a long time ago. And I was, I was teaching away and got done. And we were having a break and having some tea and biscuits. And this lady comes up to me and she is squalling, crying, squalling. And I'm like, she's holding her baby. And I'm like, what, what's going on? I thought maybe the baby was you know, on her deathbed or something. And she said, she said, Mr. Baxter, she said, I, I live in another town. And in our town are two charismatic churches. And, and we both, both churches have been praying and fasting for over a year for the Holy Ghost to fall, which I thought was strange language. <laughs> uh, I thought the Holy Spirit's already been poured out on all flesh. Uh, anyway, and so she said, and the Holy Ghost fell on the other church and left us out. And we are totally dev devastated. We don't. And the pastor told me, if you get a chance to talk to Dr. Kruger, just ask him what he thinks. So she said, I'm here. And so I'm, I'm like, Holy Spirit, you love to look, make us look smarter than we are. And I really need you right now because I don't know what to say. And I looked at the child and I said, is this your baby? And she said, well, yeah, it's my baby. I said, do you love this child? Well, of course I love the child. I said, yeah, you spend almost every day of your life taking care of this child and feeding this child and preparing a place for the child to be safe and warm. And, and, and she's like, yeah, I said, well, let me, let me put it to you this way. In 10,000 years from this moment, when all both churches are long gone in 10,000 years, that baby is still going to be calling you mama. Because in and through your body and your union with your husband, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have created a being that once conceived will never, ever, ever go away. And you're worried about the Holy Ghost not falling upon your church in exactly some special phenomena. You're holding the Holy Ghost creation. You're nurturing this. Take your separation glasses off and ask Jesus, would you show me how I am already participating in your life with your father and yes. in your goodness and in your burden and in your joys? I mean, I story after story about this. This is John 14, 20, the third part. You will know that I'm in you. I, as the Father, Son, and the one anointed in the Holy Spirit, I'm in you. This is not something that you make happen by faith. This is something I make happen. Back, he, and he told me uh, uh, one of the most significant moments in my journey, uh, very um, quiet, real encounter with Jesus. And he said, Baxter, I'm commissioning you, not the church. He says, I know how you feel about the church. He says, I am commissioning you. You go and you tell people that I am in them and they are in me. And I did that. That's what I did. And I'm like, and he said, don't let the bobbleheads discombobulate you, which is what I call the preacher boys, bobbleheads, mouthing, you know, talking noise. Um, and so I'm like, yeah, I mean, this, I don't care what anybody on earth says about that. I know that Jesus knows that I know that he knows. Uh, and this, this was very, uh, in, that was 
my papers, so to speak. I, I know what I'm supposed to do. Everywhere I go, I'm, the, I'm to make sure that everybody in that room knows that there's one person on this planet that thinks that Jesus and believes that Jesus is in them. Ask him. And then ask him how you're sharing in that life before we go do the McDonald's franchise and come up. Here's 15 things that you will do if you really are sharing in the life of the Father, yeah. Son, and Spirit. And then we, yeah. we set up our judgments. No, that's not real. No, I don't have any idea what it's going to be like. I don't know. I didn't know what it's going to be like today. I, I couldn't tell you tomorrow what following, living in Jesus, abiding in him and he and me is going to look like. It could be that there's a tragedy of a friend and I'm involved. And I don't, I mean, this is the Christian life. It's, we're kids and we're, we're getting a share in this life and it's, and, and, and they're at work and they're not going to be Paul Bart put it so beautifully is that the Lord will not be Lord of the cosmos without us. That is astounding, but that's what it means that Jesus is in us. I mean, he doesn't need, he didn't need servants to get water for him to transform it into wine. I mean, if you can, if you can do that, why not just go up to the six stone water pots and make wine? Why bother with the step of getting water? And you look at that story and this is at the beginning of John's gospel, not at the end. He's saying, look, guys, you can't transform water into wine, but I'm not going to do this without you. So your parts to get the water. And if I would have been one of the servants, I would have been saying it's hot. This is heavy, you know, eight to 10, uh, pounds a gallon or something like that. And this is heavy. And what good is it going to do to fill these old water pots? They need wine. Mm -hmm. And, but I guarantee you everybody at that wedding party and everybody in the quarters where those servants lived knew exactly who they were that afternoon. They were the ones that got water for Jesus and he did something with it that they couldn't do. Mm -hmm. So it's like, Oh, you mean following Jesus could be something as simple as getting water? Yeah. Answering the phone call at 3.30 in the morning when you know good and well it's not going to be good. Or you're driving down the road and think of somebody, call them on the phone. Or maybe I just need to take a little bit of time here and get out of myself and notice what's going on in my wife's world. Maybe I need to think about somebody else. Other than, you know, this is So he is, he is transfiguring us with his goodness and his life with his father and his burdens and his joys and his music. He puts the music in us and he's thrilled when he sees it coming out, being expressed in a unique way, just like grandparents. When their grandchildren scribble something on a piece of paper and throw a little color on it, it's not art. There's no art dealer in the world that's going to pay a million dollars for that. But what do we do with it? We put it on the refrigerator. refrigerator. We're yep. not judging them. We're thrilled. This is where they are. They can pick up a pencil now. I remember when they weren't here. Now mm -hmm. they're drawing. Now they're coloring. And yep. and it's it's so that's the way the Father, Son, and Spirit are with us. We're right on schedule. Um, Everybody's right on schedule. Let me let me tell one other story. I I know this is going long, but um, um, so there was a master um, carpet weaver. He was the best in the world. And he had a six-year-old granddaughter, and she pestered him for an entire year to let her help him weave a carpet. And, you know, in the confidence of a six-year-old, you know, she knew she could do it. So on her seventh birthday, he presented to her, his granddaughter, two needles and taught her a few basic stitches. And he set her up. And she was just stitching away in the confidence that she, she can do this. And, and she did not get a single stitch 
right. Not one. But the grandfather so loved her and so adored her and was so wise that he incorporated her mistakes into the overall design so that when they were finished, it was another masterpiece. And that is the world that we live in. I know about nuclear weapons and I know about wars and I know about murders and rapes and all the stuff's going on, but this world belongs to the Father, Son, and Spirit, and they are master redeeming geniuses, and they take up whatever it is we bring to the table. Think about this. The worst thing we've ever done as a human race is murdered the son. And what did they do? Father says, I'm not forsaking my son, and I'm not forsaking you in an act of murder, and I'm going to transfigure your rejection and murder of my son into the new covenant, where I embrace you in everlasting mercy as the killer of my son. If they can do that, and they did that, then they are weaving because we are their children and they love us and we're stupid and we make mistakes and sometimes willfully so. And they weave that. That case in point, you know Paul Young's story, what happened to him on the mission field, how he was sexually abused and how he, you know, tried to become, uh, uh, he was played, he was given religious cards, so he, he played them. And he was a shining star and he ended up having an affair and the whole, his whole world fell apart. And it took 11 years uh, for that thing, to uh, his relationship with Kim and the children to be restored. And it's only because of that 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 brother could write a book like the shack. You see, that, that's, that's, that's what God does. We make stupid mistakes and he finds a way to, to redeem them. He finds a way, the Holy Spirit finds a way to take our, our darkness and our mythology and our sins and turn that into a revelation of Jesus Christ in us. So I'm I, I'm seeing this now in the macro. My earlier question helps me to see where we are now because it was there before the Council of Nicaea. It was there after the Council of Nicaea and then the Age of Reason came along. Right. And we tried to invent something else. That's right. But what's happened now is there's been a turn and it's, it's turning back to the heart. Yes. Exactly. That relationship which has been there all along. And uh, if this isn't a Holy Spirit moment, I don't know what is, right, Dr. Kruger? This is, this is, this is your work. It's life. Time. It's back to Paul Young's thing is, is that he writes this book for his kids. He didn't even write it to publish it. He wrote it for his kids. His wife said, would you write something for the children? Because you, you kind of think outside the box. And Paul wrote that book because he didn't want his kids to grow up with the doctrine of God that he had. And he wanted it. And so he wrote it for them. And now it's gone. And, and he says, tells this beautiful story about how um, he said, uh, Paul said, I don't, Lord, I don't ever want to do anything for you again. I want to participate in what you're doing. But if you've got anything, I don't care what it is. Just let me know. And I'll, I want to participate in it. And he said, the Lord said, Paul, you know that book you're writing for your kids? He said, I'll tell you what, you, you finish that and you give it to your children and I will give it to mine. So there in the shack is not a right theological argument with the most Bible verses. There is a revelation to the human heart that this is not about information and accurate stuff. And I've got a PhD in theology. I, believe me, I've read more books than both of you guys combined. And, and, and that's not the point. <laughs> it's not the point. This is just one little part of my library. You can see all the way around. It keeps on yeah. going. I mean, it's just all over the place. But 
I know information is important because if you don't have information correctly, you got on the wrong pair of glasses. But the point is not the information. The point is communion. And that's the way it's always been. That's the purpose of God of adoption from the beginning. And they're going to see it through. They're not going to forsake us. Uh, they're going to see it through. And we might have to go, as McDonald says, you know, we might have to go through a few ages posthumously of, you know, post um, post-mortem sanctification. Yeah, like now. <laughs> we don't know, but we know that the Father, Son, and Spirit don't do abandonment. And, and Jesus has proven that by not abandoning us that are worse than the Father has too, because he didn't obliterate the human race. He embraced us and he holds us. And Jesus is holding us together from the deepest part of our abyss. Uh, I call it the, the, um, the, the abyss of delusion. He's made his way to the bottom of that and he's holding us together. And he's speaking to us and he's recreating us little by little. Um, you're, so, Baxter, you're speaking of uh, book learning. I'd like to wrap up this section on this uh, a little bit, giving a chance to get how people get more information about uh, your work and your ministry. And, and I it, it's uh, I took a course from you a couple of years ago, um, almost two years ago now. And I came hoping to get the book knowledge about the Trinity and all the theology that was there. And it was there. You you delivered. You delivered. I wasn't there was no false advertising on that. But I found that it was a draw towards relationship. The course was very much different than I expected. So I'd like you to talk about the courses that you have and how people can get more information on that. Uh, and also uh, mention a couple of your books so that people know where to get those as well. Well, yeah, we have several courses. Uh, the easiest thing to do is just go to our website. And y'all have a link to that and sign up for our mailing list because they're constantly um, – uh, advertising or letting you know this is coming. So we've got one course called. Uh, and that, that, that website is parachoresis.org. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, it's a funny word, parachoresis, right? And it, it means what, real quickly? Well, it's the one word summary of the Trinity. Yes. It, it means it means mutual indwelling without loss of personhood, distinction. It's it's what they finally came to realize. This is this is. As far as we can go in talking about this relationship, Jesus never becomes the Father, and the Father doesn't become the Holy Spirit, etc. They maintain personal integrity, but the only way we can describe that relationship is so face-to-face, -face, it's so beautiful, it's so good, it's so right, it's so unclouded with darkness that they actually dwell in one another fully. fully. I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me, and you're in me now. So I, I, when I first learned that word, I, that became my favorite theological word, and main been that way forever for me okay so parachoresis.org yes so i have i have nine books um i think yeah nine books um three small books that i wrote uh some years ago parable the dancing god secret the secret which is about these stories that we were telling and home and i wrote those because i knew people not going to read a big thick book uh then i wrote um jesus undoing of adam which is about the death of Jesus, and then uh, the great dance, the great, no, excuse me, God is for us, which is a collection of essays, then then the great dance, and when I finished the great dance, I thought, that's it, that's everything I know, and then out comes Jesus and the undoing of Adam, which is uh, on the death of Jesus, and then this book, Across All Worlds, um, which the subtitle is Jesus Inside Our Darkness, um, and then um, the shack revisited, and then Patmos, which is a novel, 
about a burned out suicidal theologian from Mississippi that um, inexplicably time travels and ends up on Patmos and meets the apostle John. And John walks him through a revolution and he meets the father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit at the last place that Aiden, the main character ever thought to look, which is inside his own brokenness. Um, and I'm working on the sequel to that book. Now I'm working on a book of stories of numerous essays like God in the hands of anger sinners, uh, bearing our scorn, um, Jesus and the way of Trinitarian love. Um, uh, those are all available on our website. And then we've got classes that we teach, um, and the way that, that we do the, uh, most of the way we do it is that you watch videos of me teaching like the class that you took, um, you watch the video, the supplemental material, other videos, other essays, things. If you want to uh, study and go further, you don't have to do anything. But uh, And so then you watch that video, and then we all get together online, live, through Zoom, and talk about it for about two hours. And then we – so we've done that with – And, and, and they are amazing conversations. Holy yeah. cow, are those conversations amazing. I, I – uh, and 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 Bill, you, you're it's a situation where you got hundred a uh, hundred people in sitting there, talking, and they're from all over the world. They're in the UK, they're in uh, Australia. I mean, they're just, they're you know just spread out all over the place. And then even more so, like different nationalities, because some of the people are sitting in Australia, they're not actually from there. They had, I met a couple, for example, you probably even know who I'm talking about, Baxter, that was in. Uh, uh, they spent their time ministering in in uh, South Africa. Uh, and, you know, so and they live in Australia now. So they had a Scottish accent. I think that's where they're from, like mixed with this, you know, Australian thing and mixed with the, the African part. And it, uh, <laughs> but they were they were a really delightful couple. I, I really encourage you to check out parachoresis.org and get more information about what Baxter's doing. This uh, I hope that uh, everybody's been inspired by what's happening here. If you can't spell that word, just go to C Baxter. Just Google C Baxter Kruger. Very uh, good. There'll be a link to the mothership. But uh, we do in Patmos. We just finished class Monday on Patmos, uh, the novel. We, we keep doing that. Eight weeks. Uh, phenomenal. Every single course that we've done and repeated, never the discussions have never been the same. Uh, no, I, I, I don't imagine they have been. And there's been. I wish. I wish we had time to get into it. Uh, there was a, a moment that happened the second to last week. We did the full Trinitarian course having to do with the fathership of God that was incredibly moving. It was, it was a kind of bring you to tears kind of moment. So that going through that course for me was, was I came in looking to get the knowledge. I came out with a different heart. So thank you very much for that.